Amen. Well, good morning, Strong Tower. The joy of the Lord is in this place. Amen. It is good to be in the house of God. Uh, if you're our guest, again, we want to welcome you. My name is Ben. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, I know we got some family in town to come see the kids sing. They did a great job, didn't they? I was so impressed. I was a little nervous. One of them was going to take a dive off this new ledge we got here on the stage, and no one did. So this is great. This is great. That's a win. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 this morning. Luke chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 67 to 80. 67 to 80. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there or you can look on the screen uh, behind me and follow along. Luke chapter 1. Uh, we're going to look at Zechariah's prophecy. Historically, this uh, song, if you want to call it a song, is called the Benedictus in church history because uh, it's this blessing. It is a song of blessing. And so we're continuing our series for Advent called uh, A Weary World Rejoices. And uh, it's a very appropriate song in Luke's chapter uh, here. So Luke chapter 1, looking at verses 67 to 80, hear the reading of God's word. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I want to tag our text today, the gift of joy. The gift of joy. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we're so grateful for your gifts. They are so many. And Lord, this morning as we look at this gift of joy that you've given to us, those who sit in darkness and despair, who sit in our sin and suffering, Lord, there is hope. There is hope that you give the gift of joy. And so, Lord, as we look at this text for just a few moments, we pray your spirit would speak to us and give us that gift today. May you give us life. May you give us hope. May you give us joy. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, in 1983, there was a Wisconsin radio announcer who was joking on the radio that you could go down to the Milwaukee County Stadium and they would be dropping from an airplane 2,000 Cabbage Patch Kids. Now, if you could imagine for a moment that he was trying to tell a joke, but people showed up. Part of his joke was, you should show up and, and they'll, be they'll be falling down from this airplane and all you have to do is catch a Cabbage Patch Kid doll and then hold up your credit card and they'll get your information just like that. 
That was how ridiculous his joke was. And at least 12 people showed up. That, that's how ridiculous the craze for the Cabbage Patch Kid doll was in 1983. When it was happening, no one really knew why it was happening. In fact, one uh, reporter was quoted in an article I read. He said this. He said, they don't walk. They don't talk. They don't wet their pants or grow their hair. Most buyers can't even express why this doll is so popular. Others can't even explain why they want to buy it. And yet they were. They were buying them by the thousands and the thousands and the millions. These dolls were so popular, this craze was spreading across the nation. In New York, there was a store that was opening up and word got out that they had a batch of Cabbage Patch Kids. And thousands of people had gathered around the store. And when they opened it, the mob trampled in and, and multiple people got run over. In Pennsylvania, they had a, a store that was making the same announcement. The store manager heard about what happened in New York, so he came prepared. He had an aluminum bat at the door like it was the zombie apocalypse. I mean, that was the kind of anticipation these people had for this, you know, these these. Dolls, these dolls. I mean, anticipation will make you do ridiculous things that you would never do otherwise. I mean, we all know what anticipation is like. The, the kids right now, they probably know there's eight days until Christmas. Parents, if you didn't know that, there are eight days to finish your shopping. I'm telling myself that. You have eight days. Right? There's an anticipation of looking forward to it, waiting and, and longing. And, and you know, one of our daughters said yesterday, I just can't wait to get up and run to the tree as fast as I can. I don't know what she's going to find at the tree, but she thinks there's going to be something incredible. But there's an anticipation, and it's not just at Christmas. It's all over life, right? An anticipation that moves you. It might be you know, you're anticipating graduating from high school. It might be you're anticipating, uh, you know, your wedding day if you're engaged. Or you might be anticipating one day becoming a parent or one day owning your own business or, or whatever it may be. There's these things in life that you just look forward to. And that anticipation changes your present reality. It changes how you experience the present as you, as you anticipate the future. Now, there's a man in the story we just read, his name is Zechariah, and he knows a lot about anticipation. If you were here a few weeks ago, we were introduced to Zechariah, and I'll kind of catch you up in the story, but Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth are a priestly couple. They, they are working in the, the temple of the Lord, and Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth are uh, on the older side. They're, they're more elderly, and, and in their old age, they still have not been able to have children. And so here they are, older in their age, they're faithful. They are living for the Lord faithfully. The Bible says that they were blameless and without fault. Like They, they were the kind of people you would look to with character and, and loyalty and, and the kind of things that you would aspire to, right? And yet, they didn't have any children. And in their culture, that, that was a conundrum because they're thinking, I've been faithful, yet I haven't been fruitful. And so there was a level of shame that came upon them because they thought something must be wrong with me. God must be angry at me. But listen, they could not have been more wrong. God was not angry with them. God had not forgotten about them. But they were wondering, when is God going to show up? And as the days grow longer and the years go on, they're wondering and wondering. And then one day, 
Zechariah the priest, he gets invited to offer the incense at the temple. And when he goes to the temple to offer the incense for the first time in his life, in the temple he finds the angel Gabriel. Gabriel meets him in the temple and shows up in a way that's so unexpected with a message that's even more unexpected. He tells Zechariah, you guys are going to have a baby. Elizabeth is going to conceive and she will have a son and this son will be greater than any son you've ever known. Now, when, when Zechariah hears this, this message from him, he, he's not ready to receive it. In fact, he, he kind of pushes it off and, and doubts and, and wonders, how can this be possible? Because when he hears the message, it doesn't match with his reality. He's looking at his life and thinking, nothing seems to have worked out up to this point. Why can I trust your message of hope? And so because he doubted, Gabriel says to Zechariah, Okay, well, for the next nine months, until the baby comes, you're not going to be able to talk. You're going to relax and rest and reflect on the message I've given you. And so for nine months, Zechariah is silent. For nine months, he's just contemplating and, and, and mulling over what the promise was to him from the angel Gabriel. And now the time has come that he had promised And indeed, his wife Elizabeth did conceive, and now she is ready to give birth. And despite Zechariah's unbelief, despite his rejection, God still gives grace. God still blesses them. And the promise comes true. So now the whole town is gathering around Elizabeth because God had given her a son. I mean, think about that. It's not every day that a woman goes from barren in her old age to now having a son. And so the the town is wondering what might be happening. What is God doing in this miraculous birth? And so now their imaginations are full of the Old Testament where there were people like Sarah and other matriarchs in in their history who had had this same miraculous birth. And every time God did it, something special was about to happen. And so they're wondering what might this be? This son of Elizabeth, in fact, would make straight the path for the Messiah. He would usher in this age that they had been waiting for. And now John is here. But here is is where we enter into the story. And everyone's gathered around, right? And they're debating what to name the child. I mean, you, you thought the Bible was clean, if maybe you never read the Bible, but this is kind of an insight into some of the, the chaos and the confusion and the family fighting and, 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 and bickering back and forth. They're trying to tell Elizabeth what to name her child. And so they're asking what she says, and she says, well, his name's going to be John. And they say, well, how can you name him John? No one in your family is named John. That, that was their tradition. You name the son after someone in your family. And so, you know, they don't respect her enough to receive her words. So then they go to her husband, and they ask uh, Zechariah. And of course, Zechariah still at this point, nine months later, can't speak. He can't use his words. And so he motions for them to give him the iPad. And so they hand him the iPad and he grabs the tablet and he writes on the iPad, his name is John. And the moment Zechariah writes that, the Bible says immediately his mouth is opened up, his words come back and he can speak. And the first words out of his mouth after nine months of silence are a blessing. It's a song. 
It's him celebrating all that God had promised and all that God is doing and all that he's going to do. And so what we see here is him giving words to us in our struggle for joy in the midst of pain. He's giving words to our our struggle for joy in the midst of loss and disappointment and, and difficulty in what he calls the darkness. The darkness. This is what Advent is all about. Advent is the season in the church calendar where we live in this in-between, where we have joy in the midst of pain. We have hope in the midst of despair. And so his song is a powerful song that gives this gift of joy. But how? How does it happen? That's what I want to look at today briefly. Zechariah, he begins with the bad news of this darkness. And I just got two points for you today, so hold with me. The first point is this, the darkness of despair, the darkness of despair. Zechariah's song of praise, it begins like this in verse 68. Hear what he says. He said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now, Zechariah's song opens up with this simple yet profound reality that God has visited us. God has visited us, right? He's saying God has come upon us. He has entered into our world. He is not far off waiting and and longing for us to come to him. No, he comes into our world to visit us where we are. But he didn't come for vacation. He didn't come for evaluation. He says he came for redemption, And he uses this powerful phrase. He says, he raised up a horn of salvation. It's this image actually from the animal kingdom, right? And anytime there's an animal with a horn, it's designed that way for them to attack, to be able to fight. It's this imagery of, of strength and victory. And so what he's saying is, God is raising up this strength, this victory, this attack for our salvation. He's coming to our defense. All of our sin and suffering, all the misery of this world, he's saying he's coming to make it right. And this was always the promise, right? He quotes, he he alludes to the promise God gives to David in the Old Testament. When David is is reigning over Israel as Israel's king, uh, everything was beautiful. Everything was wonderful. David was one of the most successful kings. The the worship was great. The the economy was great. The, the, The priesthood was great. All these things were great. Israel looked back on David, and they thought those were the glory days. Those were the glory days of Israel. If we could just get back to David's time. That's what they were imagining. Yet in David's time, God came to David and he made a covenant with David. And he said to David, I'm going to bless you and your household. And I promise that I will raise up within your house a kingdom that will last forever. He says to David, even though your kingdom is great, there's going to be a greater kingdom that will come that will bring my kingdom from heaven to earth and it will flourish And what Zechariah is saying is, that time has come. That time has come. The the Messiah who would sit on David's throne is now on his way, is what he's saying. He's saying the Davidic kingdom is at hand. This is the promise. And yet we need such a powerful promise because there's such a power to sin. See, the, the reason we need a kingdom is because we need to be conquered. We need to be conquered. The reason we need a covenant is because we need radical grace. Zechariah uses this stunning image in verse 79. Look at what he says. He says, the Messiah is coming to give light to those who sit 
who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. See, you don't have to be a Christian to realize there's something wrong with our world. There's something wrong with our communities. There's something wrong with our families. There's something wrong in our own hearts. There's something wrong in this world, in this life, and that something is what the Bible calls the darkness of sin. It's the darkness of sin. See, sin is more than a decision you and I have made. Sin is actually a darkness that covers all creation. It's a power that we're under, is what Zechariah is saying. He's saying we sit in this darkness. It's, it's become our habitation. It's become our place of residence. In other words, we, we've kind of pulled up a chair, and we've decided we're just going to settle in to the sin and darkness of this life. Sin sits in that darkness of despair. There was a man uh, by the name of Jorge Spielman who uh, himself was a blind man, and he, uh, he kind of went uh, into this, this trend. He started this trend that spread across Europe where uh, he, he simply called it blind dining. And so what he would do, it started off with him inviting his friends over to his house to eat at his house and have dinner uh, but for them to have kind of an, you know, an unusual experience for them, he decided all of his friends would blindfold themselves so that they can kind of aliven all their other senses, their, their touch, their smell, everything else, because they couldn't see their food, would kind of come alive. And, and all his friends, they, they thought it was an incredible experience. They said to him, you know, you need to turn this into a business. You need to start a restaurant. And so he decided he was going to start a restaurant with a pitch black dining room. Pitch black. In fact, imagine for a moment, you, you come to this place, this restaurant, and you show up, you choose your food off a menu in the waiting area, and once you choose your food, they give you a box, and you put all your belongings in the box. All your, your phone, your watch, any flashlights, anything that is going to emit light has to go in the box, and then a lady comes as your server to escort you to your table into this pitch black dining room. And as you're walking to your table, you're amazed that you can't see anything, and yet you didn't hit one table, you didn't bump into one person, you didn't trip over anything. I mean, she led you perfectly to your table, and you're wondering in your head, how did she do that? And then you sit down and you realize how completely unprepared you were. Because you sit down at the table, and now you can barely hit your face with your fork. You, you, you can't use your knife without your fingers being in danger, right? You can't even get up and make your way to the bathroom because you don't know where it is. You might get lost. And so you have to sit there and kind of take it all in. And what you realize is the difference between you and the lady who is working there is she had been in the darkness long enough to know how to function. She had been in the darkness long enough to know her way around every nook and cranny of that place. She knew where she was going so she could guide you and lead you through it. Now listen, some of us have been living in darkness so long, we know how to function. We know how to function. We know how to get by. We, we know how to maneuver and weave through all the obstacles of sin and suffering. We, we, we've become so familiar with the darkness that we feel at home. In Zechariah's words, we, we've just kind of taken a seat We've sat down and realized this, this is where I will settle. This is where I will be. And, and so we be, there's no sense of urgency. There's no sense of I need to deal with sin. I need to deal with evil. I need to do something about this. No, it's gone. We've just kind of sat down. We're settled. We're in it. Maybe I'm the only one who's 
got to that place before in your life where you realize it's easier to just kind of let your sin be than to actually deal with it. You ever been there before where it's harder to do something about it? It's easier to just kind of maneuver around it and live in the darkness and just kind of let it be rather than bringing it into the light and doing something about it. Maybe you're at that place where you've been deceived so much that you've convinced yourself it's, it's just not that bad. You ever, you ever walked into a dark room and and uh, at the moment, it feels really dark where you can barely see anything. And then your eyes adjust. And your eyes adjust, and now you can see more than you could when you first walked in. It's not that the room is somehow brighter. It's not that light has entered into the room. It's just that you've adjusted. And so now it doesn't feel that dark because you've adjusted to the darkness. That that's what Zechariah is talking about. He, he's talking about this sense that we, we have just adjusted to where we don't really think it's that bad. It is what it is, right? The bitterness is what it is. The arrogance is what it is. The anger is what it is. The gossip is what it is. The selfishness is what it is. It's not that dark. This is just who I am. This is just who I am. See, this is how we know we've been deceived, right? We, we become so comfortable in sin, we think it's not that bad. Some of it is just respectable now. This is just the way it is. And yet some of us, it's not comfort that's brought us to that place of sitting. It's really defeat and despair. We've just kind of given up. We, we've said that it, it's really not worth fighting anymore because I've tried everything. I've tried to, to, to battle against that sin in my life. I've tried to battle against the despair and, and the discouragement in, in my life, and it didn't work. It didn't go anywhere. Nothing happened. Nothing, no progress was going on. And so I just gave up. And Listen, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to try to give everything, and you, you try you know, self-help programs. You try religious services. You try someone who tells you this is the trick that will fix everything. I, it, but listen, here, here is the key that Zechariah is getting to. Darkness cannot be dispelled by darkness. It can't. We, we can't fight our sin on our own because the darkness has affected us too. It's gotten into us. It's not just out there in the world. It's in us. And so if we try to fight the darkness by ourselves, we'll fail. If we try to do it in our own flesh, in our own way, we will, we will not win against unbelief or pride or anxiety because darkness cannot dispel darkness. And so many of us have just given up. Or as Zechariah says, you've taken a seat. You sit in darkness, waiting, wondering, despairing. Fear becomes your friend. Hopelessness becomes home. But the darkness can be dispelled by light. It can be dispelled by light. And so the question is, where does that light come from? Where does it come from? This is what we'll look at next, and this is the last point, the light of joy. Zechariah continues here. Look at what he says in verse 76. He says, And you, child, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. I love this because Zechariah is now moving from this, this praise and this wonder over who God is and what he's done to now he's directly addressing his newborn son. He says directly to his son, John, he says, and you child, you child will be a prophet of the most high. 
He's speaking to, to John, basically affirming what Gabriel had already said to him when he didn't believe. Now Zechariah is saying, I believe what Gabriel said. I believe that the promise for you, child, is that you will bring in this new era. You will bring in this new age of the Messiah. Now listen, John won't be the way, but he'll prepare the way. John is going to say one day when he grows up and he, he will be with Jesus face to face and he'll say about Jesus, he will say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He'll also say, I'm not the Christ. I must decrease, but he must increase. See, John knew I am not the way, but I am preparing the way for the one who is the way. I am preparing the way for another son to come, one who would not be the son of Elizabeth, but this would be the son of Mary, the son of the living God, who would be the way, who would be the truth, who would be the life. See, Jesus would come and be what we needed but couldn't make, light. Zechariah goes on in verse 78 to say this, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. I love this image that he uses. He says, it'll be like the sunrise. The old King James uses the phrase, the day spring. The day spring. It's that moment in the morning where the, the light rays are coming in and, and it, you're not quite sure, is it morning, is it night? Is it morning, is it night? But it's like this slow overtaking of the darkness. The light is penetrating in. He's saying, that's what it's like when Jesus comes. There's this moment where light is now coming in and, and you're not quite sure if it's, if it's enough, but it, it's completely changing and radically transforming everything that we see. That's the Savior who's going to visit. That's the advent of joy that's making its way to humanity. See, why did Jesus come? Don't, don't miss it this Christmas season. It's so simple. He came as light for the darkness. He came as light. He came for people like you and me who are sitting in the darkness. People too depressed to care anymore. People too despairing to hope anymore. People too fed up and worn out to believe God could really even want them. Right? People so beat down by sin that all they know what to do is give up. He visited us in the darkness. He visited us that we might be dispelled of all darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He says with the psalmist, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Yeah. Joy, do you hear him? It's joy unspeakable, joy unimaginable, joy unshakable, because joy is a person. Joy has, has eyes and ears. Joy has hands and feet. Joy has come to visit us, and his name is Jesus. See, joy doesn't come up from our heart. It comes down from heaven to bring salvation. That's what Zechariah is singing about. See, Jim Lovell was a, uh, a former NASA astronaut who also was a former uh, Navy captain. And when he writes about his story, he tells how his training in the Navy actually trained him really well for his time in space. And he tells one story that stuck with me. He says this. He says one time he was in a, a flight training exercise. He was stationed out uh, with a, uh, an aircraft carrier out in the ocean. And he says while he was flying, it was nighttime. There, there were no lights. It was in the middle of the night and hours you know, before any of, sun, any of the sun's going to come up. And so uh, he's flying and in the middle of his flight... All of his instruments go out. So he doesn't know what's going on, doesn't know where he is, but he still has his radio. And so he calls his flight chief and he says, hey, 
All my instruments went out. I don't know what to do. I don't know where I am. And he says, can you find my location? Do you know at least what direction I'm flying? And he says, yes, you are actually flying directly towards the ship. So that's good news, right? He wasn't flying farther out into the ocean. But he says, uh, I don't know, uh, you know where, where exactly you're going to land, but we'll cover that later. So he says, all you got to do is just fly straight. And he says, well, how am I going to fly straight? I don't know where I'm going. And he says, we'll cover that when you get here. And so he's just flying as straight as he can. And then his radio goes out. And he has no idea now how to get in touch with the guy. So no lights, no instruments, no radio. And he, he thinks he's a couple hundred yards away. And he says, at that moment, he saw the ocean begin to glow. And he realized immediately it was the back of the ship. You know, behind the ship, it was stirring up all the plankton. And some variations of plankton give off a small amount of light. And yet there was thousands of plankton. And so that little bit of light combined by thousands of plankton was now this glow. And he said he, he could see the glow of the ship as the plankton were, were starting to glow. And the closer he got, the glow got bigger, he said, until it was as bright as a full moon. And he said, I could see the back of the ship perfectly as the plankton were glowing, and it guided me right into the landing area, into a safe landing. He said this, he said, the only way out of my darkness was to find and follow the light. My only way out of the darkness was to find and follow the light. Listen, I'm here this morning just to remind you one more time, Jesus is our only way out of the darkness. It's not the light inside of us. It's the light outside of us that saves us. It's the light that's come to us. It's the light that visited from on high. It's the light that can dispel any darkness, any pain, any sin, any failure. It's the light that can restore our joy from despair. It's the light that makes happy our soul. It's the light that turns darkness into dancing. That's the hope of his coming. He will dispel the darkness because he is light. And so I want to ask you as we close this morning, are you sitting in that darkness of despair today? Because that's the very reason that Jesus came. Jesus came as the light of joy for us. Whether you call yourself a Christian or, or you're still kind of examining that and figuring out what you believe and wondering if, if you want to follow Jesus today, I'm, I'm just here to tell you this morning, I don't know what darkness you're in. I don't know if it's the darkness of sin or misery or suffering or pain or loss, whatever it is. However, this fallen world has affected you this morning. I want you to hear this. Only Jesus as the light can get you out of the darkness. Only Jesus can, can shine his light into our despair, into our brokenness, into our failure, and give light and joy. He can turn it into dancing. He can turn it into singing. He can turn it into whatever transforming power he wants. Why? Because joy is a person. Joy has a name. His name is Jesus, and he's come. He's visited us on high. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, light of the world, shine into our heart this morning. Shine into the dark corners and crevices. Shine into the places that are blind spots to us. Shine into the places we've been hiding that we're afraid of. Shine your light 
into our past, into our present. Oh, Lord Jesus, we invite you this morning as we open up our hearts, our minds to be transformed by you. May there be a sunrise of grace. May there be a response of joy. May we sing because you have done it. Lord, just as we sang earlier, may may we go and tell it because you have done it. Give us that joy that is a gift. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may stand. Let's stand to our feet.